Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. We're so happy that you've joined us today. You know, at Disruptive CEO Nation, we love to talk about innovation and disruption in business, but we also like to focus on how you are building your teams and getting them to be high performers to deliver your products and services. But also, we love to talk to people who have a global worldview. So I was so excited when I got to meet this new guest, and I was grateful that he said yes to join us. He is an entrepreneur, author, international speaker. He has been published by Harvard Business Press, and he's got great things that you're going to want to hear. So I would love to welcome from New York today, Franz Johansson, who is the owner of the Medici Group and author of the Medici Effect and the Click Moment. So Franz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Allison. Excited to be here. So I always ask my guests to start off with telling us what great things you do in the world today. <laughs> well, uh, I'm blessed because uh, I feel like I'm in a position to work on really urgent and relevant uh, and big topics and challenges in the world today. We, um, uh, in, in my book, The Medici Effect, I, uh, I basically outlined how and why diversity and inclusion drives innovation. And that was in 2004. In some ways, it's just at the very beginning of people talking about this. Now, today, uh, what I do and what my company does is that we both help organizations to drive innovation and growth and change through the explicit use of diversity and inclusion. This is a exceptionally uh, hot topic today. Uh, innovation has, has always been and increasingly so. Uh, but today, the way we think about um, uh, our teams and how they construct it and the inclusion of those teams is, has also is, has also skyrocketed. So we live at the intersection of these two things. That's the first thing we do. And the second thing is that we've innovated how to actually help companies do this. We um, we have uh, created a, a product called Renaissance, and it really is uh, delivering, um, you know, effectively the the value of a of a, of a consulting firm, but about one tenth the price. So it's a real disruption to uh, how we can actually change organizations, large scale global organizations. It's very exciting. Well, and like you said, I think when you when you started, you were one of these these loud voices in the early 2000s when you came out and, and promoted this. There's a great deal of interest in it today, and this is fabulous. I mean, I build teams. It's it's a challenge for people to be able to make sure they're getting the diversity and inclusion equation correct. But where would you say we are today? You know, where have we come in almost the last 20 years? Well, uh, we've definitely made progress. So there, there's no doubt about that. When I When I started in this I think there was uh, very little understanding of exactly how topics and issues like diversity and inclusion actually impacts performance, actually impacts innovation, design, um, and so on. Uh, it may have been a superficial high-level notion around it, mm-hmm. but, um, but, but, but it was very difficult to, to figure out, well, if I work in 
a, if I'm somebody, a team on the supply chain team, how does this topic actually impact my ability to innovate? Like if we go way back now, now that has shifted somewhat. I, I would say that people are more, much more aware of that this, that this, um, that having diverse teams and having inclusive teams will make you better off. Uh, I think still there's a lot of confusion about what to do about it. So that's sort of is the next piece. So uh, that's one frame. The second frame I would say is that this topic globally for a variety of reasons have, have become extremely urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, we're doing this podcast on, uh, on uh, May 26th yesterday was the uh, one year anniversary of, uh, of uh, George Floyd. Um, and uh, has opened sort of a window for organizations and leaders to, um, to, to drive change on this topic, not just in the US, but globally. It's in, I just, I did a, uh, a, uh, a talk to a whole bunch of leaders last night in, in Australia, and this was a topic there. Uh, so it, it, it has had global resonance. So you have these two things, the, the need and desire to innovate and, 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 and looking to do so in ways that are uh, you know, new methods and approaches to do so on the one hand. And on the other, you can sort of see a societal uh, energy that is driving towards in this direction. And I find that, and I work internationally, and so it's interesting because it, diversity is not inclusion, they, they're not equal at all. And sometimes you have to explain to people, okay, I understand your work teams have people from lots of countries. That doesn't mean that you're inclusive and leveraging that for innovation. Absolutely right. I mean, in fact, I'd say that the, one of the big areas where, we, where we're helping um, companies right now is around inclusion. Yeah, you have to have the diversity and diversity can come in lots of different ways and it looks differently depending on where you are in the world. Uh, the US is different from Europe. Europe is different from, uh, depending on where you go in Asia, um, like Asia is so big that it also plays out differently there and so on. So, so that's, that's one piece, but inclusion is about how do you activate that diversity? I mean, so yeah, you may have the different perspectives, experiences, backgrounds, but how do you activate it both to develop new ideas, but also to execute them. Um, that's all about that's all about inclusion. I think a lot of focus and energy is going on that. Uh, so you've been a consultant um, and doing remarkable things with businesses for a very long time, helping them to innovate, disrupt, grow. Can you give us a couple examples of some case studies? And I really like the ones where the businesses are a little hopeless, like, oh my goodness, we really got to make some some changes and turns here. But give us an example of interesting work that you've done. Yeah, I mean, the interesting work is everywhere. Um, we tend to work with larger scale companies and for them, the, the question, so let me just frame this for a second. The question that I'm being asked by the CEOs of these companies have actually changed. When I started out in this, the, the question tended to be focused on things like, what's our next killer product? How do we create that? And then that question evolved into, what is the next killer business model? That became much more of a focus. But today, the question I'm getting is, is the world outside of our company changing faster than we are? Which is a very different question, because what it suggests is that even if you come up with a killer product, a killer business model, unless your organization is able to to, uh, embrace and capitalize on that opportunity and adapt, Mm -hmm. uh, you may not be able to make use of it. And so 
so with so with that frame, it, it turns out that the business challenge that we help companies sort of address is also shifting. Um, some of the ones that uh, I've talked about in the past and in various interviews that I could sort of feel comfortable sharing here, organizations like uh, Disney and Nike that really have always been on the forefront of innovation and brand and so on, but really wanted to take another major step up about understanding how can we do so in a world in a world that is becoming increasingly and quickly more diverse how does that how does that infuse uh, our thinking about our products how does it infuse our 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 marketing um, and you can sort of see it play out we've been we've been at we've been at disney for over 12 years um, you can see it play out in how they think about their their movies, their TV shows, their products. Same thing with uh, same thing with Nike. Just being able to add on a whole new layer on how to drive and grow and grow business that is sort of way ahead of many of their competitors. I also love when we're able to come into a situation where um, companies are struggling to figure out how to take a concept that they've seen to be successful somewhere and scale it. <clears throat> this is true for startups. Mm-hmm. So they're scaling in a, there's, there's, for them, when you talk about scaling, it, it's about growth, market growth, client growth, and so on. But for large organization, there's also the notion of scaling. That really has to do with how do I, how do I take a new approach to how we do business that may have worked in some portion? And then how can, how can I bring that to the whole enterprise? So, so for, 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 for an organization like that, the notion of scaling it's about how do I how do I scale a, a new successful behavior for an organization, and so we've focused on both of these areas, uh, helping smaller companies to grow, uh, being able to uh, develop new products, develop uh, uh, new approaches for large organizations. The real challenge is how can I take a successful model and bring it across globally? What we found is that there is a particular way of doing this that turns out to be really exceptionally successful. We've had great success with, we started this with a, uh, a food company, probably all buying the products uh, a couple of times a week. And for them, the question was, how can I, even if I know that this is a behavior, and it, it, like I want to be more adaptable, for instance, even if I know that I need to reframe opportunities and challenges, uh, how, can I, how can I make that a habit how can I, it's not enough to just intellectually know it. And to us, the way to do that is <clears throat> you need to link a shift in behavior with a shift, a positive shift in business outcome. And then you could create a habit cycle out of it. So we help teams shift their behavior, a new way of operating. A, uh, we have concepts like uh, small executable step. Instead of, uh, of planning a large scale idea, you focus on making it small and, and, and execute over the next couple of weeks to move this idea forward. And then you make a judgment based off how that has played out. When you do that, you start seeing a positive business impact. And we help them make the connect between the shift in behavior and the positive business impact. And if you could do that repeatedly, you start creating a habit. So those are some of the ways in which we are uh, we're helping um, uh, companies today um, all over the world to, to scale and to, to, to learn how to become adaptable. It's interesting. I was speaking to another business leader um, just last, last week, and he was talking about um, a little bit of this <clears throat> concept, it, it, and, and again, take it as with a grain of salt, but that the concept of mass products needs to go away 
and that it needs to be um, smaller, better tailored products. And I think that somewhat aligns a little bit with, with what you're saying and the way the world is changing. Well, it was a great point because actually, the um, if you talk about the scaling concept again, the issue, <clears throat> if you talk about the scaling concept again, the issue is how do you serve a world that is constantly changing? Yeah. Because in the past, right, once you had it figured out, you could sort of work off of that for 10 years and just keep on rolling. Uh, this is the product or this is the service and this is how I'm going to deliver it and people are going to like it. Um, that's not true. So what, so what are the dimensions that are different? First of all, people's norms, preferences, and so on are changing much faster. So whatever it was that was going last year, it's not guaranteed it's going to be playing this year. But second, uh, we, are just, we just have much more individual needs as individuals and as, uh, and as organizations. So even if we're all aligned as to what's going to be playing out this year, the way you, you may want that, the way somebody may want that piece of that product or, or that service could be different depending on where they live or where, what states are in life or what company they work for. Today, you have to address both of these, the constant need for change and the constant ability to target your customers. So I think that's where that comment comes from. <clears throat> and I listen to you say that and immediately, and I think most business owners might be like me. I mean, every CEO is a technology CEO right now. Like everybody's in the technology business. And, and a I speak to a lot of technology disruptors and a lot of them will say, you know, I'm the last person who should ever been leading a technology company, um, but that's that's the world I'm in. I hear what you're saying about, you know, the more individual needs, the somebody, the way someone wants the service is different, and and then my mind goes to technology and the rising cost of technology. Um, and, and good news is, is a lot of the uh, cost of technology, you know, where AI and RPM and, and, and different things were a little bit unreachable. I mean, they're becoming very reachable and, um, and there are places you can go to get really great uh, programmers and, and, and technology support and not have to, you know, break the bank. But do you see, what do you see as these technology pressures on these businesses as they look to innovate? Well, so first of all, I definitely believe that technology is getting much more accessible. And it is because you have all kinds of platforms being developed uh, that you may or may not leverage. They could be open. Uh, you, you have, the, there may be open platforms, there may be platforms that, that you're incorporating through various business deals. You have communities of programmers and developers all over the world that you can tap into in a way that just was impossible uh, 10 years ago, five years ago. Uh, even for our own company right now, um, you know, constant decisions are being, you know, we, we have to think about, well, do we want to, how do we want to do this? Wanna, would we want to build this? Can we bring this in in some other way? So, so accessibility technology is at, a, at an all-time high. So that's, that's the good news. The, the challenging news is that uh, at no point can you rest on your laurels. So like, okay, I, uh, we brought something in. Uh, we're able to work with that. It's established. That is just probably just baseline a year from now. And so basically the ability to be constantly abreast about what exists in the world, I think is where things are heading. The way to counteract that or the way to embrace that is to start thinking in terms of networks, like who are you connected to? It's not gonna be possible for you to know 
every single piece of technology out there. It's not going to be possible for you know for you to know who is the best person to help you uh, implement it or what the best platform is. Um, you instead, the way to keep tabs on this is that you're step by step building networks, and these networks can help you be informed. You can put a question out to the network and say, "Well, um, here's what I, here's an issue I'm trying to solve for. What what do you think? What do you think is a good approach to do so?" And the more diverse that network is, the more surface area it has in the technology community, and that means that anybody who's listening to this should be thinking about not just you know, did I read the latest Gartner report or check out the latest Twitter feed of my favorite? Like, yeah, sure. But how am I building access to a wide array of people or sources information that enables me to tap into a fast-moving world technology so I can get a sense of what's going on? In our case, how am I staying abreast on AI and natural language processing? Uh, those are those are communities that I'm sort of need to understand. It's just happening so fast that um, the development is happening so fast that um, you know at this point I need to have people I can reach out to connect with. Otherwise, I'm going to be left behind. Well, and I always I I have written a book on this topic. Um, well, not specific, but connect to influence. I am a huge proponent of I build build a network for people that you're going to need two or three years down the road. And I talk about building a network for your skills gap. I am also crazy about building a network that has a diversity in it because I actually want in my streams for content to show up that isn't usual content. I, I can't emphasize that enough because if you think about it, what, what's going to, what, what ends up happening, right, is that uh, we, through choice, but also through our, the, the algorithmic nudges that our feeds are giving us, are encouraged to build bubbles mm-hmm. where we where we are following uh, people that are interested in what we claim that we're interested in. Um, what is the end result of that? It means that when you are in a community like that, uh, you're likely to arrive at the same conclusions, the same ideas as everybody else. It really puts you at a disadvantage. Um, what you what you want the true breakthroughs, the true insights, and what my what the entire topic of my first book, the Medici Effect, was about, comes when you're making an unexpected connection. But how are you going to make an unexpected connection? Well, only if you can invite in diversity. So, so in some ways, you have to actively break the nudges of uh, of the algorithms as it's trying to create this bubble around you. And you have to actively invite and seek diversity. So these networks that you talk about need to have that diversity. Uh, not just through the people, live human beings we interact with, but through our feeds and everything else that we're that 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 we sort of use as a source. So we don't want to get let you get away from us without giving a little bit of background and history. I love speaking with our guests about knowing what brought them to where they are today, and you have quite. Um, a unique beginning, beginning and background. So can you just tell our audience a little bit um, about your foundational roots and your family and, and how you got to be uh, who you are with such a high level of interest in diversity and inclusion and business excellence and team performance? Yeah, it's um, uh, <laughs> to some degree my whole life step-by-step step has led me to this to this path. Um, so I can see, even today, when I think about what I'm going to be doing today, like I can see the threads as, uh, uh, sort of uh, go all the way back to when I was a kid. Uh, so it's exciting in that way. Uh, 
I, I, I grew up in, uh, in was at the time, definitely an unusual circumstance. Um, I grew up in Sweden. My, my mother is American. My dad is Swedish and my mother is, uh, or was, I should say, she, she recently passed, um, uh, black and Cherokee. And so I grew up at this intersection of, 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 of nationalities, of race, uh, of ethnicities, uh, of culture. And I could see when I grew up the power of what would happen if people were willing to explore and recombine uh, these perspectives. I'll give you a very simple example. It's, it sounds simple, but it was very instructive to me. Um, growing up in Sweden, uh, we have pancakes, but in Sweden, pancakes are are uh, large and thin, like a crepe, okay? Um, uh, and they served for dinner, basically, or dessert after dinner. In the United States, pancakes are smaller and thicker, fluffier, and they served for breakfast. What do we do in our family? Well, we served Swedish pancakes for breakfast. So basically, there's, there's this American piece that pancakes are used for breakfast, which we didn't do in Sweden. And then, there's the, and then, there, was the, uh, then there was the Swedish piece that we used Swedish pancakes. Uh, you know, this is when I grew up. Today, you know, Sweden is so much more uh, global that you will find all kinds of things when you go there. But when I grew up, this was very, very different. It gave me a, it's just one out of many, many examples like that. And it gave me a sense of an intu intuition around innovation can happen. Then when I went to college, I saw the same phenomenon play out. But here it was between disciplines. Uh, what happened when you brought together biology and geology and chemistry and physics and math. I studied environmental science. That's where I majored in, which is a very interdisciplinary major. And I was able to see the power of bringing these approaches together. So, so I kind of had, and I, and I realized it was kind of a similar process. This process what happened between cultures and people from different backgrounds in that way. And then what happened between disciplines, it was, it seemed similar. And then and then on top of that, I had these various entrepreneurial experiences. I played a lot of Dancing Dragons when I grew up. I, I still do. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but, but I was able to, to use that to, to sort of write and sell my first book. And then I, then I started a, a, a healthcare company uh, and, a, and, a, and a software company. And, 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 and throughout all these experiences, I could see that diversity and, and inclusion and innovation and creativity were all tightly linked. So it ultimately led me one, at one point to uh, want to write a book about it. And of course, you know, when you do that, you should never expect that to be a success. There's like 100,000 books written every year. Uh, the odds are definitely not in your favor. Um, but, I, but this one actually ended up doing uh, exceptionally well at this point. And it's translated to 21 languages and, and it still sells. I mean, more than 17 years later, it's, it's really quite an a, a, a unexpected piece uh, of success, but it completely shifted my life. Because at that point, everybody really wanted to understand, how do I create this Medici effect? How can I innovate in this way? How can I break new ground? Well, thank you for sharing that story. So we're going to shift because we need to close out. If we come and speak to you again in two or three years, what's the vision? What's the new thing that you are working on? Well, um, I don't know if it's a new thing. It's the, it's the thing that was recently launched, uh, the Renaissance. And what will have happened at that time is that... Um, it has really become a, um, uh, a, the way for uh, companies to innovate and to change their culture and uh, around innovation in a method that is very inexpensive and essentially frictionless. Most of change management today is extremely painful 
Um, so we're removing all those pain points, removing all that friction. And that's what will have happened uh, a couple of years from now. Well, thank you. If our listeners want to find out more, where should they go? They should go to our website, uh, themedicigroup.com. Uh, T-H-E-M-E-D-I-C-I group.com and they can seek me out on LinkedIn uh, and uh, ping me. I, uh, I, I, may, I may not be the one um, answering that, but, uh, but, but eventually it'll, it'll get to me. So I, uh, I, um, those, are, those, are, those are two great ways. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciated this. And to our listeners, if um, Franz said something that really resonated with you or if there is somebody that you think needs to listen to this episode of this podcast, podcast, please pass it along. If there is a disruptive and innovative CEO you think I should be speaking with, send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Thank you again for being our guest today. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.